All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, only you have the words of eternal life. And we are hungry and thirsty for those words. So, Lord, I ask that you would speak to us this morning by your spirit and from your word, and even through my own feeble words. Lord, we desire to be wholly submitted to you, and we ask that today you would woo us once again by your goodness and grace. Father, we recognize that our lives are not our own and that we have been bought with a price. So we lay our lives before you, asking that you have your way in us. Father, help us to heed the promptings of your spirit and to faithfully follow your son no matter what the cost. God, may you be our tender and ever-present guide in this journey of life. And may we be obedient and faithful sojourners. Finally, Lord, I ask that today you would tear down demonic strongholds, that you would soften hearts, and that you would rid us of the sins that so easily cling to us. Father, reveal to us our idolatrous comforts and the false securities we hold on to in this world, and bring us to true and lasting repentance that we may wholly turn to you and find our rest and home in you. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I have titled um, today's message, Sojourning by Faith, Seeking a Homeland. What do you think of when you think of home? Take a couple seconds and think about it. What comes to mind when you think of home? Now, for some of you, home is associated with family. In this sense, home is fellowship with loved ones. Home is a community of belonging. Thus, wherever family, friends, or loved ones gather, there home is. But for others of you, Home may be associated more with a feeling. Here, home is construed as a mood. Home is the culmination of those positive emotions like happiness, serenity, or gratitude. Home is a state of mind focused on coziness, security, and comfort. Perhaps for others of you, home is associated with your house. Home in this sense is a specific structure the place with your bed, your kitchen, your bathroom, and the place with all your stuff. It's the place with that one-of-a-kind scent that is specific to your house and noticeably different in other people's houses. Home is that familiar place chock full of memories. The stairs you slid down as a child, the dining room table where you'd gather for family meals, or the basement that provided hours of playtime and sometimes not-so-friendly competition. Still, for others of you, home is where you grew up, your hometown. It's the familiar surroundings, the tight-knit neighborhood, the back road shortcuts, or the inviting backyard. Home is that place you feel proud to hail from. I'm from Long Island. Or, 
I'm a New Yorker. You tend to say it with a bit of pride, a bit of attitude, a bit of enthusiasm. Home is that neighborhood, that town or that city you call your own. It's the place you identify with. It's the place of which you are a part. Lastly, others of you may think of home in terms of your homeland, your nation, your culture, your people. From this perspective, home is your motherland. It's your mother tongue. It's the country in which you reside and the nation where you are a citizen. For many of us, it's the land of the free and the home of the brave. But whether you think of home in terms of your family, your feelings, your house, your hometown, or your homeland, it is important to note that each of these conceptions of home, while having some positive features, are still broken, painful, and ultimately transitory. They are not truly and finally what home is, or at least what we long for home to be. Now, I realize that for some, home does not always have the best connotations. For some of us, mentioning the word home brings up feelings of resentment, pain, abandonment, loss, or division. In fact, the sad yet true reality is that this world, as it presently suffers under the effects of sin, is not our true and final home. We cannot find a true or lasting home amidst such, so much insecurity, change, loss, or dysfunction. Families still hurt one another, move away, grow apart, or fall apart. Feelings never last, and they change depending on circumstances. Houses and landscapes evolve with time, memories fade, and in this, and in this increasingly mobile age, life typically displaces us from the places and people that are so dear to us. Hometowns become references to previous life stages. Neighborhoods change, and over time, familiar environments become strange, almost foreign, and perhaps even become new developments. Homelands, too, have their own shortcomings and change with the course of history and the shifting winds of culture. Nations still come and go, and cultures ebb and flow. What all of this suggests is that our families, our feelings, our houses, our hometowns, our homelands, all of these, they are not truly and finally what home is. If this is so, maybe we have been thinking of home from the wrong perspective. Maybe we have been seeking a home where there is no hope to find one, or at least one that really satisfies us. And maybe scripture can point us in the right direction in our search for our true home and how to journey well in our homeward path. But before turning to scripture, there is one more observation worth making, and that is everyone has a strong desire and need for a home. Everyone longs for a community of belonging, a sense of security, a place of shelter, a tight-knit neighborhood, and a country to take pride in. But sadly, everything in this world comes up short in meeting and fulfilling our desires for a home. In fact, you could say that throughout this earthly life, 
all of us are permanently homesick. Desiring a home, but feeling deserted, distant, destitute, and displaced. We live in the paradoxical tension of desiring a homeland, but never attaining it. Of reaching for heavenly joys, but grasping the reality of a broken world. The fact is that our souls and bodies crave wholeness. We seek a renewed creation in which we feel fully at home. But sadly, and to our own detriment, we have found ways to mute these groanings for home and become all too comfortable in a sin-sick world. As C.S. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We have grown too accustomed to broken homes and halfway houses with homeless shelters and refugee crises. We as Christians must be awakened yet again to the truth that this fallen world is not our home, that we are called to live in the present world as foreigners and strangers, as aliens and exiles, as sojourners. We are not meant to get cozy or comfortable with sin and evil. We are not meant to eternally coexist alongside death and decay. Rather, we wait for the day of evil's destruction and elimination and the full implementation of God's salvation and the establishment of God's new creation, a new heaven and new earth. So to begin, we must ask the question, what or where is our true home? If our true home is not this fallen world, not our family, feelings, house, hometown, or homeland, then where, what, or even who is our true home? In the passage that was read earlier, the author of Hebrews gives us several good descriptions of our true home. The text indicates that for God's people, our true homeland is a heavenly city made by God that is yet to be revealed. Thus, first, our true home is a heavenly city. Second, our home is divinely crafted. And third, our home lies still in the future. In the end, our true home is the new creation, the fulfillment of God's cosmic plan to sum up all things in Christ and for God to make his home among mankind. Ironically, it is when God moves into the neighborhood that we finally arrive at home. In Revelation 21, John describes the new creation, the true home of humanity, as the new Jerusalem, the true city of God, descending from heaven to earth, where heaven and earth become one new creation reality. The final goal of the biblical storyline is the marriage of heaven and earth, the coming together of God's space and our space, the marriage of God and his people, the time when all things are subjected to Christ, so that God may be all in all. The goal of original creation and new creation was and always will be for God to make his home among us. At this point, a crucial distinction must be made. Our future, final, and true home is not heaven, 
per se. If it is the resurrected life in God's new creation. Contrary to popular sub-Christian belief, heaven is not our home if by heaven one means the experience of the soul with God after death and before the resurrection of our bodies. Rather, our true home is resurrection life in God's new creation and enjoying the fullness of God's presence throughout all creation. The truth is that God, from the very beginning, always intended that humans be embodied creatures who dwell on the earth and enjoy the wonder and beauty of material creation. Even the biblical imagery of the new creation affirms this fact and is full of earthly realities. The new creation is described in terms of a remade earth, a garden city with streets of gold, a place where the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard lie down with the goat, and where weapons of war are beaten into useful instruments of agriculture. The basic point here is that our ultimate home is the new creation, while heaven, referring to the place where we go when we die, remains only the stepping stone to the resurrection life God intends for humanity. The importance of this distinction is that matters very much matters. That God's original creation was not to be abolished and set aside, but will be fully redeemed. And this means that our sojourning through this fallen world does not mean we desire to be rescued from this world in order to go home, but rather our desire should be that this present world be transformed into our eternal home. We are not saved out of this world in order to someday die and go to heaven. Rather, we are saved for this world to join God's mission to redeem this world from its bondage to decay. Considering the truths I just mentioned, there are several questions which now face us. First, how should we live in this present fallen world, this place where no true and lasting home can be found? Second, What are some possible temptations that we as Christians might encounter along the way of Jesus? Third, what should be the identifying characteristics of Christians who find themselves seeking a homeland and longing for a better country? And fourth, how might our relationship with Christ bring us hope and perseverance amidst the journey homeward? First, regarding how we should live in this present fallen world, the passage in Hebrews and the example of Abraham is instructive for us in many ways. To begin with, Abraham obeyed God's call, followed God's leading, and trusted God's promises, even though he did not even know what it all meant, or where he was going, or even if he would see God's promises actualized within his lifetime. Despite the absurdity of it all, Abraham still committed his whole self to God. He sacrificed his own comfort, security, and livelihood. He left family, feelings, house, hometown, and homeland behind in order to journey with God toward a more real and lasting home, a city with foundations, as Hebrews says, that heavenly city, that better country, that promised land, that true homeland. Abraham is a brilliant example of what it looks like to follow Christ in a fallen world. Following Christ will sometimes require absurd, counterintuitive, and countercultural sacrifice. 
it will sometimes feel like aimless wandering. It will sometimes end up singling you out as an outsider, a foreigner, or stranger. It will sometimes mean forfeiting personal pleasure and gain for the betterment of your neighbor. And yes, this journey homeward will most certainly always require faith. Faith in God despite opposition and trying circumstances, and faith in God's promise of a home beyond the horizon of this sin-cursed world. This pilgrimage requires a faith that must hold on to that promise of promises, that eternal promise of new creation, with every fiber of our being which assures us that following Christ is worth it, that self-sacrifice for the kingdom is worth it, that the avoidance of sin and worldly pleasures is all worth it in light of God's eternal promise of new creation. We are called to a life of sojourning by faith, a life that may feel a whole lot like wandering in the wilderness, but a life nonetheless following the way of Jesus and seeking, seeking our new creation homeland. Ironically, the homeward life is a life spent following the one who said he had no place to lay his head. Thus, to live in this fallen world as a Christian means we are to welcome God's promises from a distance, to admit we are foreigners and strangers on the earth, to be a people who seek our true homeland beyond this sin-cursed world, and finally, to not turn back. For as Jesus warns, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And there will be opportunities to U-turn on this path homeward, There are many temptations to depart from the difficult task of sojourning by faith. But these are dangers the Christian must avert. The first temptation for Christian sojourners is assimilation. This is the temptation to prematurely seek out the pleasures and assurances of home in the here and now. This temptation of assimilation is the desire to be of the world, the desire to blend in, It's the wholesale adoption of cultural habits and values. It's the uncritical acceptance of political ideologies and patriotism. It's the idolatrous loyalty to national agendas. And it's the temptation to find our security and comfort in our own possessions and status. All of these are temptations to find our home, our security, comfort, or identity in the wrong places, people, or things. Our identity as strangers and foreigners on the earth does not allow us to prematurely seek out the pleasures and assurances of home in the here and now. On the contrary, much of Christian life is growth in the practice of delayed gratification. The best truly is yet to come, and we must patiently wait to experience the glorious joys of our future homecoming. The second temptation for the Christian sojourner is escapism, the temptation to inappropriately seek our future home to the exclusion of any earthly involvement or engagement. The temptation of escapism is the propensity to isolate oneself completely from the world. It's the belief in the false idea that the things of earth do not matter and that one day it will all burn anyway. It's the desire to take the easy way out through not engagement. It's the sinful tendency to ignore God's call to be the salt and light of the world. 
It's the lazy desire to just die and go to heaven without engaging in the process of sanctification or growing in our compassion for those who are lost. And finally, it's the short-sighted desire to arrive at the destination without going through the journey. Escapism is not an option for the Christian. Instead, as citizens of heaven, we are commissioned by God as ambassadors to earth. Not those who are granted a heavenly passport for an as-soon-as-possible entry into the homeland. Quite the opposite. Paul envisions our heavenly citizenship as the fuel for our earthly ministry and our mission to the homeless. Even though as Christian sojourners, our home is not of this world. Our home is still for this world. For God's mission and ours by extension, is in fact the remaking and redemption of this present world. The basic point is that while God's kingdom is not of this world, it is still very much for this world. And that is why the king came here to begin with. Peter makes a similar point in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, where he says that we as foreigners and exiles are called to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter, in the same passage, affirms our identity as foreigners and exiles, while at the same time emphasizing our responsibility to this world to perform good deeds, and to live holy lives before unbelievers so that they might glorify God as well. We are both ambassadors of the homeland and foreigners on the earth. These are not diametrically opposed missions. We are called to action and loving concern for others while not becoming entrenched in the sinful ways of the world. We are exiles on the earth of a heavenly kingdom called to expand the rule and reign of the king as a people set apart, a kingdom and priests of our God. We are not called to isolation, inaction, or escapism, but to compassion, intercession, and loving witness. As God said to the Jews in exile in Babylon, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So to sum up, To sojourn well in this fallen world, we must walk by faith in God's promises of a future new creation home, while avoiding the dangers of assimilation on the one hand and escapism on the other. As Christians, our identity as sojourners and strangers in this world is not a wait-and-hope mission. Instead, our mission as sojourners is an active ministry of bearing witness to our true homeland a prophetic warning to the false halfway houses of this world and a loving engagement with the world to make it look more, just a little bit more, like our future home. Our journey journey homeward to God's new creation reality not only requires that we find our hope in God, but that we work for the betterment of the world around us, all the while recognizing that this is God's creation 
and he will one day make it truly home for humanity once again. Lastly, to conclude, we must explore how God himself is also our home amidst our journey toward our new creation home. Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our very life, Paul says, is hidden with Christ in God. That is truly where we reside. As Paul says in Ephesians, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. These are surely deep mysteries of our faith, but nonetheless real and true. Our new residence, our new abode, our new home as Christians is with Christ in God. Not only that, but God has made his abode in us. Jesus says in John 14 that the Father, Son, and Spirit have come into believers to make their home in us. This should be a great comfort to us, not only that we have the comforter within us, but that home is not only a destination, but it is a person. Our true home is God himself. As St. Augustine rightly notes, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. God is our community of belonging, our sense of security, our place of shelter, our source of identity, our feeling of comfort, our foundation, our strong tower, our rock, our shield, our defender, our mighty fortress, our stability, and the only balm to our homesick hearts. God is home. God is our home. Thus, paradoxically, we as Christians are wandering foreigners and strangers in this present fallen world only because we have already found our true home in God. It is through our fellowship with God, our abiding in God, our living in God, that we are progressively drawn away from the illusions of home in this world and filled with a hunger for new creation, a world set right, a place to call our home. To continue as foreigners and strangers on the earth, we must have the sense that God is both home and co-sojourner. God is the destination of our journey, and he provides the measure of perseverance needed for us to fully arrive complete in him. God is both the goal and the means of us finding our way home. As Psalm 46 says it so well, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. 
He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. Hallelujah. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So when the journeying and the sojourning gets tough, just remember, God is our home even as we journey homeward. Praise God, for we have found rest for our souls now. Hope in God, for one day we will reach our new creation home, and our bodies will breathe their first breath, fully animated by the life-giving spirit, and finally released from their bondage to decay. One day, oh yes, one day death and all the forms of homelessness will be swallowing up, will be swallowed up in the all-embracing hospitality of God. For we await that sweet and joyous day when God moves into our neighborhood and finally makes this place our home. For you, O God, are our true and final home. May we all taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Amen.